thread over HDL, a silent cardiovascular risk factor. This is part one. We're going to be doing part two tomorrow. And how can you be doing that much on one little ratio? You'll find out as we get there. Um, just a couple of other comments about other uh, content that we have available. Previous topics, vitamin K, cardiovascular health, uh, helping to clear the confusion in that area. Uh, how to prevent stroke with exercise, heart disease in women, um, falls. And one of our most popular videos over the past uh, few weeks has been, can vitamin D lower, lower COVID-19 risk and how vitamin D impacts your immune system? We slowed down on uh, COVID-related uh, videos because of the over-politicization. I think that's the right word. Uh, it became way too political. Um, and we're not a political channel. But uh, that one video has been very, very popular uh, recently. If you want to, uh, to get some information about yourself, if you want to find out, do I have insulin resistance? Do I have plaque? Do I have diabetes? Um, should I be taking supplements? Those are all available on some uh, webinars, some um, events that we're, we're uh, working on right now. And again, uh, Aspen, if you could, Aspen and Sam, if you could go back and check with Michelle, I don't know that that sale is still going on. If somebody uh, clicks in on this, I'll certainly honor it though. Um, <clears throat> the courses started to get an in, uptick in interest in the courses recently. The courses are quick and easy. It's your own pace, an hour or so, and you can end up learning a little bit more about, or significantly more, about insulin resistance, prediabetes, cardiovascular inflammation, plaque. Uh, no more than the vast majority of doctors in that area, just with an hour or two of time. And we know that those topics are important because they're the number one source of heart attack, which is the number one cause of death, number one cause of uh, strokes, number one cause of disability. So very important items. Um, continuing to get uh, interest in our subscription plans. I talked regarding the book. We've got two books coming up now. Uh, the plaque book, and I, I will just say with a smile, if you ever write a book, be careful about doing a co-author. I talked with or Todd sent me an email the other day and we were, he, we were about ready to send it in. And Todd looked at one more thing and decided he wanted to go down yet another, it's not a bunny trail. It's a, it's a necessary item, but it's like, when will this thing ever get submitted? Hopefully soon. So um, again, check out the website. We've done a lot of work on it. We're starting to get a significant uptick tick in uh, interest and um, activity there. We're starting to migrate our content from just the YouTube channel. It's hard to get everything verbally uh, to uh, in writing. And we actually, uh, Chris actually uh, published that original, uh, more popular uh, video today uh, on the website, the one about uh, reversal, 20 years reversal of uh, plaque, my story. I had actually wanted to hold off on um, on publishing that blog yet, and and here's why: um, that blog, that art, that uh, excuse me. Let me start again. That video 
uh, was popular enough to create its own uh, Google uh, long tail keyword, reverse 20 years plaque. Um, you Google that, Google that term and that's what will pop up, our video. So I think we've had over 2 million views on it now. And again, I didn't realize it was going to be such a clickbait when I, that was one of my first videos. I'd only been doing the YouTube channel for a month or so, and it was a lark at that time. Um, but it was very well received. I got very hyper and wanted to really do the blog article correctly um, and do some edits. The end of the day, it came out, it is what it is. And uh, if you go in and take a look, let us know. We're, we're planning on providing more content, which gives you a lot more detail on um, how you can reverse your plaque. Yes, it's possible, uh, despite what many cardiologists say. And it's not just on my channel. I'm not a goofy uh, uh, YouTube doc making stuff up. I used to teach this stuff at Hopkins. I used to be an ER doc. Um, Real doc, real information. And in fact, it's not just me. T tell them to look it up on Harvard Health. I mean, there are plenty of places where they talk about it is possible to reverse plaque. And in fact, I have a significant number of patients who've done it. Now, the real question is, is it practical to say, I want to reverse all of my plaque? In certain situations, it is. The real practical goal that all of us can attain, though, is to stabilize that plaque and reverse your risk. And we'll, again, we'll talk a little bit more about that as that uh, information comes out. Today, I want to talk, though, about triglyceride over HDL ratio. It's a very, very important topic. Um, there have been quite a few lives saved looking at this specific item. So, so as you can see, we're going back and uh, getting the, um, the website now populated with some of the original information. Uh, making more information more available to people in writing form as well as uh, written form as well as uh, as the videos. And this, uh, I have re recently been able to rewrite the triglyceride over HDL uh, video, added a lot of information to it. And again, you'll see that uh, blog come up on the website probably a couple of weeks. Hopefully we won't uh, jump the gun on that one like we did on this recent one. But here, here in studying uh, the content to prepare for the written version, I uh, listened to some interesting uh, videos. The Drive, Peter Atiyah. Most of you, a lot of people that watch my channel have seen Peter Atiyah. He's also a Hopkins grad. He, was, he started off in surgery in Hopkins. And uh, his uh, video that was his claim to fame was a TED Talk where he was talking about uh, getting called in as a, as a surgery resident to see a lady. I think he was going to have to take her leg off. Um, diabetes. The lady was over, overweight, and he was, uh, he was not treating her with uh, the, patient effect, uh, the patient concern uh, that he felt he should have. And here was the thing. He was blaming the patient. We often blame patients until you begin to realize that sometimes behavior is driven by biology. And in this case, there's a lot to be said about the hormone theory of weight loss. 
In other words, it's not that we get fat because we eat more. It's that we're eating more because we can't burn the energy that we're eating. So we remain hungry. If you don't know what that means, if that sounds really weird, uh, get the book, Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. Gary Taubes. It's a great book. It helps you understand a lot more about diet. Again, totally different topic. But here's the reason that I brought up uh, Peter Atiyah. He, he made a pivot in his life and started focusing all on longevity. He's a great doc. He's got a lot of good, good content. Uh, he did a series with Thomas Dayspring, um, who's a basically national and world-renowned lipidologist. Now, here's the quotes that they had about triglyceride and HDL. Uh, Peter says, and I think it's about five minutes into this, uh, uh, this podcast, there are a few things that humble me more than my complete and utter buffoonery when it comes to HDL lipidology. Again, Peter's a sharp guy. He knows, he knows more about uh, HDL than I do. But clearly, somebody that knows more than both of us put together in that space is a fellow named Thomas Dayspring. And his comment was very telling. He said, you know what? That's true of all of us. So given the fact that HDL lipidology or the study of HDL or, quote, good cholesterol can be such a dicey topic, why would I venture to go there? Because... I'm not so much, it may sound like it, and a lot of people may say, what? I'm not, I'm not an academician. The stuff that I talk about does get a little bit geeky. I was at a faculty full-time at Hopkins for a while, but I never thought of myself as, as an academician. I still don't. My goal is to save lives. And as you begin to look at this, uh, this, this concept, this issue, you can, you can begin to realize that it can save lives. One of the people who's, who talked about that is a fellow named Chuck Smith. On the bottom right-hand corner, Chuck's giving his presentation uh, to a group at Louisville. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but he talks about how this understanding HDL over triglyceride, that ratio saved his life. So a couple of other things that Atiyah and uh, Dayspring talked about in there in episode 22 of the Drive podcast, triglyceride over HDL ratio is five times more predictive than heart, for heart attack risk and then LDL. That was seen in a, a recent Framingham study. Lipoprotein particles pass both cholesterol and fatty acids around like hot potatoes. What? Again, that's an interesting concept that um, you'll hear if you go there. That's not so much, uh, that may be a little bit more arcane stuff for academicians, and we'll skip over that. Let's make sure that we learn basic triglyceride over HDL uh, lipidology right now, because it's really more a diabetology, um, uh, food nutrition issue than anything else. The basics of triglyceride and HDL are critical to health. The complicated version sometimes just isn't understandable so, or even actionable. I did a, a simple video on triglyceride over HDL ratio in 2017. The link is here on the page. 
Uh, it's a popular video. I think there have been about 60,000 um, views on that video. Um, <clears throat> so let's go back and talk about some of the basics. What are triglycerides? Tri meaning three, glycerin meaning the glycerin uh, molecule here. And there are three fatty acids that link up to a glycerin, glycerin molecule. I won't go too deep in this. This is not gonna last too long. We'll get back to the basics in a couple of minutes. But this is fat. That's what triglycerides are. Um, now, what are the appropriate triglyceride levels? Once you get over 100, you need to be worried and thinking about your triglyceride. One to 200 tend to be uh, listed as normal, or one to two millimoles per liter for those of you in the UK and uh, Europe and other parts of the world using metrics. Lower levels than 100 though, or lower levels than one millimole per liter are optimum. Some disease states, I mean, these can get really high. Some disease states show triglycerides uh, over 500 or uh, 500 milligrams per deciliter in the US or 5.7 millimoles per liter uh, elsewhere. I've got several patients, 350, 400, 450, uh, etc. Now, that's triglycerides. Let's don't get too much deeper into triglycerides right now. Let's go back and talk about HDL, high density lipoprotein. Uh, many of you have heard of it uh, and heard it called, quote, the good cholesterol. When those same people that call HDL the good cholesterol usually call LDL the, quote, bad cholesterol. Now, I'm not going to go there. Um, I've used that terminology in the past. I don't use it now because we know a lot more about these. Um, but again, let's leave that topic for later as well. The final L in LDL and HDL stands for lipoprotein. Lipo means oil or fat or wax, and protein means protein. So what's going on is these are uh, particles made up of a protein and the fat cholesterol, wax, oil. And if you didn't have those proteins that would help these oils form a particle in your blood, you could get what's called, you know, all you'd have to do is eat a salad with, um, with olive oil dressing, and you could get what's called a fat embolus. That would be a big blob of oil, olive oil, in your blood. That blob could cause a heart attack or a stroke because it would... Um, it could block arteries. So that is the purpose of these proteins. The apo, what they're called apolipoproteins, or the lipoproteins that, that make fats and oils form tiny microscopic particles that are not going to cause uh, what we call an embolus or a, a blockage of your artery. So when you digest fats, things like HDL, LDL, apolipoproteins, keep those fats in a tiny microscopic area so you don't get the, uh, the emboli or the blockage of your artery. HDL particles are considered to be responsible for, quote, reverse cholesterol transport. And if you go deep into some of these, um, some of the other videos, you, you begin to hear that this, quote, reverse Tran, uh, reverse cholesterol transport, or RCT, which you'll see referred to all over the science. You see it referred to in this little guy with the uh, 
with a wheelbarrow who's taking the cholesterol, quote, away from the artery. You begin to listen and hear to some of here's some of the cutting edge HDL lipidology, and they're throwing this whole RCT or reverse cholesterol transport into question. Doesn't that shake the whole issue regarding health? No, the health, uh, the details of how some of these things work are still in debate. They're still being argued. They can still be very confusing, but the basics of how they impact our health are still rock solid. So hang on, we'll get there. HDL particles, again, considered to be responsible for reverse cholesterol uh, transport. Well, that's where you're taking it from the arteries back to the liver for the cholesterol to be metabolized. Will an improvement in HDL result in better health? Yes, with a few exceptions where you have problems with the HDL itself. Not going to get into that topic right now either. But higher HDL means better health. How? It improves nitric oxide, it decreases uh, oxidase enzyme function, decreases adhesion molecules, decreases uh, monocyte filtration, you know, the immune system activity that's attacking plaque, possibly, again, improves reverse uh, cholesterol transport. Now, <clears throat> why is there triglyceride in the blood? The most common reason for elevated triglycerides is prediabetes. So now you're beginning to, to get to the basics of this. Higher the triglycerides, the more we're concerned about prediabetes and or full-blown diabetes. And the uh, lower the HDL, the more concern we have about just overall health indicator, no matter what mechanisms, and there, there are multiple, that HDL does to impact health. So then you begin to see why HDL, uh, triglyceride over HDL is an important ratio. Now triglycerides can also become elevated in several inherited diseases. They are diseases where, um, again, our, the individual, the patient's body just does not metabolize triglycerides correctly. Chronically high insulin stimulates adip adipokines and hormone-sensitive lipase. Now, why did I say that? Let's go back to this original comment. Uh, high triglycerides tends to be a sign of prediabetes. Now, how does that happen? Now, let's go back and repeat that. Chronically high insulin, which you get from insulin resistance. Uh, high insulin stimulates adipokines and hormone-sensitive lipase. The hormone-sensitive lipase results in the release of too many fatty acids and fat cells. These, ex these excess fatty acids take up space in the HDL and LDL. An enzyme called cholesterol ester transfer protein, CETP, facilitates the exchange of cholesterol in large HDL and large LDL with triglycerides. So here's what happens. You eat a meal. Um, you, for a few minutes to a few hours, you'll have VLDLs. Those are those very large or very low density lipoproteins. They're very large particles and they have a lot of triglycerides in them. Meanwhile, uh, because of your prediabetes, your uh, hormone sensitive lipase has been stimulating uh, release 
of triglycerides. So you've got too many triglycerides um, circulating in your system. Hopefully that helps to, to start understanding why triglycerides are elevated with prediabetes. Now here's the other piece, and it's in this, um, this uh, slide from Dr. Dayspring, Thomas Dayspring. Uh, there's a CETP, cholesterol ester transfer uh, protein, which takes cholesterol out of the large LDL and out of the large HDL and transfers it back to VLDL in uh, exchange for triglycerides. Now, what happens then? That all might sound a little bit complicated. Why are we going there forward? I'll tell you why in just a minute. In the next image, it's from the, the patient charts that I see time after time, day after day, example after example. We'll see this on uh, the labs. Triglyceride uh, enriched HDL and LDL are in turn metabolized by liver lipase, resulting in lo uh, loss of the large HDL and LDL. So in other words, when the, um, the cholesterol is taking, taken out of large HDL and large LDL, uh, liver or hepatic lipase metabolizes those large particles. Now I said, I was gonna cover something that I see in the vast majority of my patients, as in over 90% of them. This is um, a spectrum analysis of HDL and LDL in patient blood. You see here on the vertical, we have total lipoprotein mass. So that's mass. And you see along the, uh, the horizontal, we've got diameter. So uh, same mass, lower diameter, you're gonna see HDL. Same mass, higher diameter, you're gonna see LDL because uh, same mass, lower diameter, high density lipoprotein. Same mass, uh, higher diameter, low density lipoprotein. That's how those were originally named using these techniques. And they didn't understand them originally, what they were before. So that's why they had the names HDL and LDL, using basically just a, uh, a uh, chart like this. Now, <clears throat> what you should have in a healthy patient is large, fluffy HDL and large, fluffy LDL. So you should have a smooth bell curve on the HDL that peaks here over the large green um, image. Same thing on LDL. But what we classically see in people with prediabetes is it looks like a big chunk of the uh, HDL uh, bell curve has been bitten out of it, that where the red, where my red mark is. And that's exactly what we see over and over and over again. So you see that there, um, that this person, this patient's um, HDL peak is way down here in the lower levels. So the HDL that they have are still not so much the large healthy ones. The large healthy ones have had their cholesterol taken out of them, uh, exchanged by, with CETP for, um, for triglycerides, and then the liver uh, 
lipase has metabolized those large HDL particles. Now with the uh, bell curve, with the LDL, you don't see that same impact on the bell curve where it tends, looks like a shark came, on, came along and bit a piece of that bell curve out. What you see is a shift of the bell curve. And that's exactly what happened with this patient. They have what's called, uh, docs tend to call it a B pattern, meaning the peak for their LDL curve is lower. Uh, it's in the more in the smaller, denser LDL area. And that's not where you want that either. You don't want small, dense LDLs. You want the large, fluffy ones. So hopefully that helps <clears throat> you begin to see, <coughs> excuse me, what I see all day, every day. <clears throat> Let me go back to text because this patient um, also had a little FH, and we'll talk about you know, we'll talk about that for just a second to make sure I covered the details on the on the script. Decreased size of HDL is caused by uh, by this activity, and the L the HDL should again be have a smooth bell curve here. You get a decreased size of LDL particles instead of getting that uh, bite taken out of the the bell curve, you get a shift. Uh, you get in this uh, patient, you have uh, elevated uh, triglycerides, 216. And so when you look at it, this patient had um, a triglycerides of 216 and HDL of 34. Um, and just a comment back to uh, people that are, are have seen that original video about triglyceride over HDL. Chuck, for example, said that he had, um, Chuck lost about 50 pounds uh, working with a well-known uh, low-fat diet doctor, uh, Caldwell Esselstein. Um, after the loss of the 50 pounds, he had a, a heart attack. That's not, that's not very common. Uh, most people, Weight is a major determinant, and in most people, weight is the major determinant. So I'm not banging on Caldwell Esselstein. I'm not, I'm not banging on or criticizing the other docs that talk about low fat. Um, if you can get that body fat down, that is, for most people, the most important thing. But <clears throat> triglyceride over HDL is very important as well, as Chuck found out. For some people, it's the most important thing. Chuck said he, uh, after his heart attack, he started looking at my channel. He discovered this concept, this triglyceride over HDL. He looked at his, and his was uh, between five and seven, his triglyceride over HDL. Um, if you're interested in Chuck's video, it's, um, there are a couple of versions of it on the channel. It, he was driving a Tesla when his heart attack happened. You put the Tesla in autopilot and uh, <clears throat> while he was reaching in the back seat to get his nitro. But again, another digression for another time period. As you can see, this patient's um, triglyceride over HDL ratio is 216 over 34 or 6.4 at that point. I recommend a goal of one. And again, if you go back to Chuck Smith's um, videos, Chuck's HDL is now down below one. Uh, from a high of five to seven when he had his heart attack. Now, there's one other thing I mentioned a few minutes ago. This patient also has an, uh, an unusually high uh, LDL. I've mentioned that uh, many times. We've talked about FH, 
familial hypercholesterolemia. And that's why you tend to see such a big uh, area under the curve for this patient for uh, LDL. <clears throat> so this patient has a double problem, FH and, uh, and prediabetes. Uh, triglyceride over HDL. As I've said many, many times, I've got tons of pa patients with um, garden variety FH, uh, familial hypercholesterolemia. They rarely get into any problems until and unless another major risk factor happens. Uh, we've got several videos on that. Um, we've got one patient who, as a young woman, um, was smoking like several packs a day uh, had a problem, needed, had an event, found out that she had FH. It was not recognized at first by her primary care doc. Uh, FH is rarely recognized uh, first. And um, it's something that needs to be recognized. But again, as I've said before, uh, FH is not something that, uh, that tends to take us out initially, like most people think. It is something that decreases our capacity. And most commonly, the thing that takes us out is triglyceride over HDL ratio uh, associated with prediabetes and diabetes. I've gone down a whole lot of bunny holes. Thank you for your patience if you're continuing to hang in there. Let's just uh, cover a couple of other items related to this. One of them is uh, remnant cholesterol. Uh, many people consider remnant cholesterol the most dangerous type of cholesterol particle. What is it? Um, it's also called the triglyceride-rich lipoproteins, TGRLs. It consists primarily of VLDL. You know, we mentioned that a couple of times. The VLDL and IDL, uh, very low-density lipoproteins and intermediate-density lipoproteins, are very short-lived. You eat a meal and um, you see them for half an hour, a couple hours at most in, a, in most healthy patients. How do you find that number? It's very simple. You take uh, LDL and add HDL, and you subtract that from total cholesterol. What remains is remnant cholesterol. You'll see a good bit about remnant cholesterol with um, uh, Dave. I'm, I, always, I keep forgetting Dave's last name. There's a fellow that uh, does a lot of work on the internet about um, uh, remnant cholesterol. Uh, it's, it's not aspen, is it? Anyhow, remnant cholesterol particles appear only briefly after a meal. Then they're metabolized into other lipoproteins by the breakdown of triglycerides in that particle. This breakdown is accomplished by lipoprotein lipase lining the luminal surface, the uh, inner surface of the capillaries. Remnant cholesterol is higher in uh, serum with those with cardiovascular disease, uh, 15 milligrams per deciliter or above. Now, next week, um, we'll talk about other parts of triglyceride ratio, why it's important, the optional triglyceride over HDL ratio, ethnicity. You'll see when you start looking up triglyceride over HDL that there's a lot of focus on ethnicity. I have patients of, I've got patients from all over the world, uh, many ethnic groups. Yes, you could say that, but no, I would not use ethnicity as a major guideline. And we'll talk about that some later. Uh, how can you lower triglyceride and raise HDL naturally? It's 
I've got people doing it all the time, just like Chuck did. Uh, changed his uh, ratio from five to seven down to less than one. Most of that he did naturally. There are medications as well, and we'll talk about those, medications which improve triglyceride over HDL. And the question, does lowering carbs, does that improve triglyceride, HDL, remnant cholesterol, cardiovascular risk? Again, all for next week. A, um, a <clears throat> senior moment about lean mass hyperresponder. I'm still trying to find uh, Dave's last name. He's a fellow that talks a lot about remnant cholesterol. Anyhow, what I'll do, I'm sure somebody uh, will help me with a fact check on that. And let's go to questions. Amer Al-Gayar, hi from Germany. And uh, my question was, where in Germany? Uh, Bob Weiss, hi from North Georgia Mountains. Carson Nielsen, due to more red blood cells with cardiovascular plaque, seem to cause blood clotting easier, I think. Well, yeah, if you've got a lot of plaque, and if, if you know, plaque can be stable. Plaque alone is not the problem. The more plaque you have, the more likely you are to have this issue. But the concern is having plaque and then your immune system attacking it. That can cause um, clots, which if they go to the heart, is a heart attack. If they go to the brain, it's a stroke. My BJJ, I just found out recently what my BJJ stands for, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Thank you so much, BJJ, for uh, your participation. And thank you for joining today from Temecula. Uh, and Bart, Carl, Karstein, Karsten, 1957, Cato, good morning. Thank you again. Art Berry, good morning. Lake Ontario, New York, San Francisco. I think that was Mike. BJJ, $5 uh, um, super chat. Thank you so much, BJJ. Uh, John Tacho. Good morning. Remember to smash the likes and consider joining Patreon. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate that. Um, the, the, the Patreon, we appreciate. The donations, we appreciate. Uh, we'd also recommend, you know what, why don't you make a contribution that contributes to your own life as well? Uh, purchase a course. Uh, come see me as a patient. Um, seeing me as a patient is expensive. I understand that, and it's not in a lot of people's budget. I, um, but as you know, we have done a lot of work to make not only this free content, but a whole lot of content like uh, the courses, which uh, can get you where you need to be. My BJJ LabCorp's LPIR looks at six lipid metrics to estimate insulin sensitivity. I, yeah, I've seen that one. Uh, VLDL uh, particles, LDL particles, HDL particles, VLDL size, and LDL size, HDL size. What are your thoughts on this lipid panel to estimate IR? You know, I don't think it's bad. If you if you go back and you look at what we just talked about, my BJJ, it's crystal clear that I can tell a lot about somebody's carb metabolism and whether they have insulin resistance by looking at HDL, LDL, triglyceride, and VLDL, you know, those remnant particles. That's why we went through what we went through today. 
So it's very interesting. I'm very interested in a cholesterol panel, but not like most other docs are. And for the reasons that we talked about today. So yes, that's a helpful, uh, those are helpful indicators. Now here's my problem with it though. Uh, Quest has a similar uh, index. These labs, however, don't share with you exactly what they're looking at and what they're making their decision on and how they're making their recommendation. So what I would rather do is look at the actual numbers and go over with them as a, with you as a patient, uh, look at my own numbers and see exactly what's going on. Thank you so much. Great question. I scored the ideal category for, for all six LPIR markers without any meds. LabCorp says I'm in the most insulin sensitive group. Also my triglycerides only 46 and HDL 74. Those are some impressive numbers. Triglyceride over HDL ratio is 0.62, yet my fasting blood glucose is often 100 to 110. Well, <clears throat> again, there's nothing like looking at the real data in term and the direct data. Now, one thing I would say though, just given what you've told me so far, BJJ, uh, you, even though you obviously have some, <coughs> excuse me, some of what's called the dawn effect. The dawn effect is when in the dawn, the early hours of the morning, many of us tend to get, well, all of us tend to have our spike of cortisol in the dawn, in the early morning. So, um, all of us tend to have our highest natural blood glucose levels in the early morning like that. So even though you have some dawn effect, you um, obviously are managing it very, very well. And I'm not too worried about uh, that if those are some of the uh, biggest glucose numbers you're seeing. I, I'm obviously very interested to see, or would be very interested to see what your numbers are after a challenge. I said a few minutes ago, uh, <clears throat> those are often the highest numbers for people, natural numbers, meaning numbers that are not created by a challenge. And a challenge can be in the lab as well as a challenge with, you know, burgers and a Coke or something like that. Unfortunately, <clears throat> too many people in the US and other, you know, other parts of the world <clears throat> are challenging our pancreas, our metabolism with Big Macs, French fries, supersized Coke, you name it. Not only once a day, seven days a week, three times a day, 21 times a week, maybe four, maybe five times a day. You get that kind of challenge on a regular basis and you're gonna wear your pancreas out and your arteries. My BJJ, however, I've recently brought my fasting blood glucose down to 90, 93 by being in keto and depleting my glycogen. <clears throat> yeah, there are some things to do. I will tell you this, a lot of people get really, really worried about their dawn effect. Um, if you're managing <clears throat> your, um, your carbs and managing your blood glucose during the rest of the day, I'm not, I, I have to often uh, counsel patients don't be quite so concerned about a morning blood glucose of one to 110. Uh, those are not dangerous levels like, you know, 180, 200 uh, for somebody who's got significant, um, 
glucose metabolism problems and eating obviously sometimes the wrong stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe I will. Uh, starting to get in, into the allergy season for me, so maybe a little bit of a challenge there. Amir Algayer, uh, hi from Germany. Which part of Germany, Amir? Be very curious to see. Good morning, Dave Murphy. I hope you're doing well. Saarland, Saarbrücken. Well, thanks for letting us know. <laughs> uh, uh, gosh, I was hoping someplace like uh, Berlin. I'm, my uh, German, I probably shouldn't have even asked. Thank you so much for sharing anyway. Amer uh, first, oh, it's at 5 p.m. 5 p.m. in uh, Germany where Amer is. Dave Murphy, 97% uh, O2 sat and 62 beats per minute. Dave, you're cooking along, doing well. Dave Feldman, thank you so much. See, Lear, yes. Dave Feldman goes way deep into a lot of discussion about um, lean mass hyperresponders. And one of the things he talks about is um, the uh, remnant cholesterol, that one of the images that we used in our slides came from one of Dave uh, Feldman's uh, illustrations of remnant cholesterol. And again, that's the high triglyceride cholesterols in healthy people. You don't see a whole lot of them. They'll happen a little bit after a meal and then they get cleared out. Art Berry, my primary provider, tells me a stress test is the gold standard, end quote. But after listening to your channel, I've scheduled a uh, CAC test. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that, Art. Unfortunately, we've got way too many people saying that stress test is the gold standard. And again, don't believe me. Go to the, you know, the Princeton Longevity site. Uh, just look it up. Go to the, go to... Um, Google false positive, false negative stress test and the snippet that will come up, the Google snippet will come, that comes up will say, what is it, one and a half million uh, stress tests out of the six to eight million that are done this year or were done last year prior to COVID. Um, one and a half million we know are false positive or false negative. So you got to ask yourself, are you feeling lucky? Thank you so much, Art. I appreciate the information. Oh, we got to well, we've got a lot of participation here. I'm going to try to keep up here. Dr. McCord, great topic today. My latest triglyceride over HDL was down to 1.06. That is excellent, Dr. Dr. McSee. Thank you so much for sharing that and glad to hear it. Diet and lifestyle are so very important. I've been supplementing two grams of fish oil daily, one gram of niacin daily, and resuvastatin, 10 milligrams, only three times a week. Thank you for sharing that. That's a good set of numbers you've got. A um, <clears throat> couple of comments that I will just res respond to quickly out of this. Uh, fish oil does tend to help with triglycerides. And in fact, if you look at things like Vesepa, um, I'm blanking on the uh, generic name for Vesepa. It's the, um, the new fish oil on steroids. Um, it actually does, a, does help quite a bit with the triglyceride part of the triglyceride over HDL ratio. Nancy Salvaggio, Dave Feldman. Thank, thank you, Nancy. Thank you, C. Lear. You know, uh, they say word finding is the first big, and it is. There's no question. You look at the science. Word finding is the first big um, concern symptom for uh, dementia, early decline. So obviously I stay nervous about that. Now, a lot of people laugh at me when I say that. 
um, I'm obviously not at a significant level of dementia. And I'm a, the other thing I'd have to share as well is I've had word finding problems since I was in the fourth grade. So, <clears throat> but it, it's an irritation. So thank you so much for uh, the help there. I appreciate it. Nancy and C. Lear. Fel and Dave Feldman, Feldman. Yep, Gary Radker, Dave Feldman, exactly. John Brenda, hi, Dr. Brewer. Recently lost 230 pounds. Let me repeat that. That's amazing. Dr. Brewer recently lost 230 pounds. How recent? I mean, that's not something you do in a month. Going low carb, my triglycerides went from 133 to 74. However, my HDL only went from 33 to 37. Mm, not good. Taking 500 of niacin a few times a week. Any suggestions how to get my HDL up? Well, you already took my first uh, recommendation. That was to read up a little bit on niacin. I will tell you, a lot of us um, think that, well, here's the thing. 500 of niacin a few times a week may not get you there. Um, you may want to try a little bit higher doses, as in up to two grams a day. Uh, that's certainly one thing. Uh, some of the other questions I would have would have, have to do with lifestyle, um, uh, use of alcohol, um, resistance training, high intensity intervals, uh, sleep. Again, uh, deep, uh, deep subject, but, but a very important one. HDL is incredibly important. Hope that helps. Uh, Beth Edens, good morning from North Carolina. Beth, I am from South Carolina, Spartanburg, uh, and we used to take day trips up into uh, um, the mountains there. And my mother is from uh, Union County, which is real country, a bunch of chicken farmers. Her family are chicken farmers and a wonderful group. Uh, not so many anymore, but wonderful group. I It's been a long time since I've seen them. And, uh, I miss my family there. Um, 1957, Cato, talking about ethnicity and triglyceride over HDL ratio. Latins have or suffer more from high triglyceride. Is that true? <sighs> You'll see a lot of science indicating that um, uh, Hispanics, uh, Latinx, uh, that ethnicity tends to have more problems with triglyceride over HDL ratio. Uh, and some would say specifically in the triglyceride area. Now, here's one of the things that you need to uh, to separate out, and that's lifestyle. Uh, how much is lifestyle? How much is genetics? How much of that matters? Uh, again, on a person-by-person -person basis, um, you get you got to get to that question. How much does that matter in terms of um, uh, what ca what causation may be? What really matters is how to fix it. But thanks, it's a good question. Uh, Dave Murphy, five, oh, thank you, Dave. I appreciate that, uh, another super chat. Good to see the live again. Missed the last couple of weeks, flying to see the kids. Uh, don't forget to like. Thanks again, Dave, thanks for the super chat and thanks for the reminder about likes. Um, seeing you isn't as expensive as the long-term costs of poor health that you are helping correct, thanks. Thank you so much. Dave has shared a couple of times uh, on the channel that he's uh, he's been a patient. I think he's also, well, he has. He's also shared that he lost 150 pounds. So, you know, Dave is like uh, many others. Uh, I, gosh, the vast majority of my patients these days come from the YouTube channel. 
we're starting, we're, we're not completely booked up. Uh, I can still see a few more. Uh, probably always will be able to see a few more, but uh, <clears throat> one of the things that often happens now is I see patients. So many patients come in and they're like Dave. They've uh, started listening to the channel. They've started learning a whole lot. So the patients coming to me now are extremely well informed. They often also are patients who have ended up with some great numbers. Um, and then you start saying, well, why do you, why are your glucose numbers looking so good yet you're, you've got plaque? And then I've, I've, since I've begun seeing so many uh, YouTube channel patients, I've now learned to ask, did you lose 30 pounds sometime recently? And uh, Dave's answer, uh, as he shared with you guys, is no, I lost 150. So fantastic work. Um, <clears throat> so then the next question is, I'll see these patients and they'll say, yeah, I've lost 30 pounds. And I'll say, well, you know what? You've already done the majority of the work. You've done the hard part. You've saved yourself a couple of decades. And it's very interesting. What I hear right after that is, yep, doc, that might be true. But I know there's more that I can do. And guess what? There's not a person that I've heard say that that I, I would argue with. Yes, there have there has always been something more that you can do. Thank you again, Dave. I appreciate it. Sax Girl Hornboy, a $5 super chat. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Uh, the, the, these, these numbers make a difference. Again, we, uh, we do some offshoring in terms of some of the work. Uh, Aspen, Sam, uh, Chris, some of the folks are from uh, the Philippines. And so $5 uh, goes a long way. It may not seem like much in American uh, American dollars, but it goes a long way in terms of helping move this channel ahead and helping get this information out to other people. Sax Girl Horn, Horn Boy, how much does a CIMT test add to a recent calcium score? So if we can ever get that darn book out, we talk in depth about it. But here's the thing. Uh, both tests, you know, like, like so many um, ways of measuring plaque, uh, everything has its benefit and its risk. The two, three of the best are calcium score, CIMT, and a newcomer to the block, CT angiogram, uh, computed tomography angiogram. The thing, the advantage about CT angiogram is that you get a picture, a very clear picture of where your plaque is and what it looks like. Uh, Jerry Kurth shared one time that he took his and, and taped it to his refrigerator door. It really helped him think twice at snack time. The CIMT has a major advantage over the calcium score in that it tells you how much soft plaque you have, if any. Uh, the critical piece is not really so much how, so much, uh, how much calcium you have, how much hard plaque you have. The critical piece, the part that causes danger is the soft plaque. And that's what the CIMT adds to a recent calcium score. Um, I've gotten to where so many people have come to me with a CIMT that was not well done because they went to their local hospital or somewhere else. I've gotten to where I say, you know what, if, you, if you're coming to see me, just get a calcium score if you want. Um, otherwise, we'll go ahead and get started. And when it's time to get a proper CIMT, we'll do that. But again, CIMT will give you clarity regarding 
soft plaque that you just won't get from a calcium score. The downside of CIMT, it can get messed up so easily. Uh, it's not, it's hard to standardize. So you need to be very careful where you get it. Um, there we go. Uh, Dr. McCord, I've learned another important ratio to watch is ALT and AST correlates with um, uh, insulin resistance, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, endothelial dysfunction, and, and adverse uh, cardiovascular events. Very true. You know, uh, Kevin, you and I have talked about it several times. I have done a couple of series on uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It is a big deal. It has uh, become a major cause of, even of liver cancer. Um, and in fact, I think it's in females, isn't it in females that it's become a bigger issue than alcohol? Uh, fatty liver is a big deal. And thank you for bringing it up, Dr. McCord and ALT, AST. These are uh, very much related to that. Jonathan Hull, Dr. hi, Dr. B. Are you familiar with the science on the relationship between insulin resistance and dementia? What's your opinion? Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question. Yes, I am. And I will, again, I'll go down another bunny hole. And I think that this bunny hole is very worthwhile. I took the two-day training uh, with uh, Dale Bredesen. You know, Dale wrote, wrote the book, um, The End of Alzheimer's. And, you know, that sounds very uh, aggressive. I would just let you know that if you go to the Alzheimer's Foundation, that's their major ad campaign right now, too. The first Alzheimer's survivor is out there. And so uh, Dale's book publisher was the one that pushed on that title. I think it's a great title. I think, I think it's a great ad campaign for the Alzheimer's Foundation to have out there. There are significant reversal components of uh, cognitive decline. I've seen a reversal of cognitive decline in patients that we've dealt with. Now, um, the, how did I get interested in cognitive decline? Again, a friend, a friend and patient of mine read the book. Um, it, there was so much interaction and so much overlap between insulin resistance and um, risk factors for cognitive decline, Alzheimer's. Then he said, Ford, you got to do this. And, and in fact, for a couple of years, I was one of the uh, providers for uh, cognitive decline in uh, Dale's group. We withdrew to focus totally on cardiovascular work. We've thought many times about going back and, and um, doing the, the insulin resistance component of uh, the 39 holes in the roof. That's the Dale Bredesen work. So let me just add one other quick snippet. At the end of that two-day story, uh, Dr. Bredesen walked up and said, well, Ford, what do you think in terms of the course? And I, I sort of hesitated for it because I didn't know exactly how to say this. It was a, sort of a critical comment. I said, it was great work. It was a great two days. I learned a lot. And he looked at me and he said, but what? And I said, well, here's the concern. I said, you know, I don't know. What, what do you think, Dale? I, you clearly know that the the insulin resistance prediabetes is a big thing and i would think that it causes at least half of alzheimer's but and he looked at me funny and he, and i said what and he said 
No, I would think it causes all of it. Insulin resistance causes all Alzheimer's. And I said, really? And he said, I said, I tend to think that too, but I didn't think you did. He said, oh yeah. He said, if you look at the brain, insulin is very much involved and it. We knew this. Insulin is very much involved in actually creating the, the biochemical process of creating memory. Because of that discovery, there was a lot of work in actually uh, having people inhale insulin, snorting insulin. That research didn't work, but it still doesn't have anything to do with the fact that insulin is involved with making memories. So, if you, so anyhow, Dr. Bredesen's point was, so even if you can't measure uh, insulin resistance in the body, uh, we think it's going on and is a major causative component of uh, memory loss in the brain. Now, what he didn't know, and I didn't go into it, it, I mentioned it, but we didn't go into it. It's the vast majority of insulin resistance in the body is missed. The vast majority of it. Over 90% of people that have insulin resistance don't know it. So it's like, you're right. Major, we're worried about a, a a coronavirus pandemic. We've had a major cardiovascular uh, pandemic, mostly driven by unrecognized, undiagnosed prediabetes. And it's not just causing the major cause of, it's not just the major cause of death with heart attack. It's not just the major cause of disability with uh, stroke. It's also the major cause of dementia. So it's like, it is a much bigger deal than COVID-19. And Pardon me for even mentioning COVID-19. It's such a political issue. My BJJ, per your question, when I do a challenge with high carb meal, I'm at 170 after one hour and about 130, 140 after two hours. So yeah, that's the meals and the high carb meals is obviously where, where I'm more concerned, BJJ, than your, uh, about those, your postprandial stuff, your post meal uh, glucose than I am about your, um, your uh, one to one ten, your dawn effect. That seems to clearly indicate insulin resistance, despite my LPIR score. Yeah. See, and that's uh, that's another point. You know, you bring up another really good point. There are so many quote indicators, indices. There's the um, oh, I'm blanking on HOMA IR. So many people seem to stay so focused on HOMA IR and the science behind that. Most HOMA IR uh, science focuses on a one-time shot. It's a, re a ratio between blood glucose and, and insulin. And here's the problem. None of these snapshots, like BJJ, just, just describe it. You just nailed it. The snapshots do not show the moving picture. They don't tell you the whole truth. You get a, a series of indicators from LabCorp, and they tell you you're fine. In reality, you've got a big problem. And why did, why did that happen? Because you took a snapshot, you didn't take the full, you didn't watch the movie. You didn't challenge your, uh, your metabolism with glucose, so you never saw the rest of it happen. Again, the vast majority of insulin resistance is just not being seen because that's the kind of, of advice that uh, the medical the medical leadership is giving people. Jim Dandy, you can try phosphatidylserine in, at bedtime and see if it lowers your overnight cortisol. Thank you, Jim Dandy. And 
not exactly sure what that picture means. It looks like the guy on uh, Monopoly. We used to pay a little bit of that. Not sure what he's doing. Carl Fusco, a question from Switzerland. Well, thank you for letting us know that you're there. How much does does change the meta metabolic syndrome in a prepubescent child or an adolescent compared to an adult? <clears throat> Didn't quite, I got a little bit messed up on the English does change. Uh, I will tell you this. Um, it was back in World War II that they went, you know, when young men were getting killed, they began to see that even very young men can have uh, streaks of plaque in their arteries. Since then, they've started looking. I mean, that's what, World War II, we're talking almost 100 years ago. Since then, there's been a lot of work to look and find that you can e even start finding plat, uh, fatty streaks in arteries, plaque in kids that have just been born. So <clears throat> this process starts early. It is never too early to start focusing on this issue. And unfortunately, the vast majority of my patients are over 50 by the time they see me. I have seen several 20-year-olds and excuse me, have applauded them and their parents when their parents were involved in getting them in to see me. Dave Murphy, still having problems getting a CIMT schedule in my area. Cardio risk says just keep, keep checking maybe a while. Sorry, Dave. Um, it is what it is. Uh, John B, should endurance improve triglyceride over HDL? Yes, it should. Uh, uh, Endurocin is a wax matrix, safe form of, um, of no flush or low flush uh, niacin. Uh, we, I use it a lot. Uh, a, lot of, I've, a lot of patient, my patients have used it. Now, niacin is one of the few, it's the only thing we know, prescription or otherwise, which uh, tends to improve LDL, HDL, uh, triglycerides, uh, all of those things. It's a it's a major actor. Now, then you get into a lot of studies about well, they didn't find an improvement in in cardiovascular experience. Well, not so fast. Um, if you use um, lapropriant, that's a chemical that was given that was added to uh, niacin to decrease the flush that you get with niacin. That chemical. Uh, Im impacted the impact the the effect of niacin. You look at others, and that's uh, again not going to go down that bunny trail. But yes, uh, we talked about it a couple of times earlier. Uh, niacin to two uh, grams per day um, sounds like a lot. It is. Jim Clark, what are your thoughts on when to have your lipid levels run after starting clean keto? I've heard to wait until weight loss stabilizes and then run them and not before. Well, uh, it depends on how hard it is for you to get, uh, uh, get lipid labs. I, it, you know, just the cholesterol panel and the, the stuff that we showed on the, the video earlier today shouldn't be that hard. It's not like it takes a half day like a, um, an OGTT, oral glucose tolerance or insulin uh, survey. But yes, I think the real question is, how long does it take them to stabilize? As I've, sh well, I didn't show you today because that was a relatively new patient's uh, chart. I've got people that have had, they will continue. The uh, going keto or low carb will tend to have an impact on HDL much quicker than LDL. 
depending on the amount of effect, um, we can start seeing effect within just a couple of weeks. We will continue to see effect uh, for months down the, down the line. Usually to have an impact on LDL, it, I've never seen that happen in less than two to three months. And the vast majority will go on six months or more. But I will also tell you this, you can still, even though somebody has been on low carb for months, I've got plenty of people on low carb for years that still have some of that impact on those, uh, those bell curves that I mentioned earlier, that big bike taken out of the HDL and the LDL moved over. So those are not always um, assured of total reversal when you change your lifestyle. But, uh, well, we'll talk, we can talk about that further later if there are other questions. Bob Weiss says, it's a good idea to eat 15 grams of fat <clears throat> when taking meds to help meds primarily fat-based be absorbed. Um, yeah, it probably is. I, um, I have not been that fastidious about when I take my supplements and maybe that's my bad. Dave Murphy, I really like the Endurison brand of niacin that you recommend. Uh, I do too. Again, it's wax based. So wax matrix. So you get a little dose here, a little dose here, a little dose there. Uh, and you're not getting uh, things like lapropion, other chemicals in there. That's the one, uh, we've tried rugby. Rugby is also uh, really good, uh, but um, more patients do better with endurance. Uh, my BJJ, I'm planning to get a craft survey to see what's going on my, with my insulin. I think that's a really good idea. I suspect possible low levels of insulin from years of endurance training. Maybe I should have, I have low IR, but low insulin. I'm confused about what you're saying. Um, I think what you, what you might be talking about, BJJ, is a, maybe a stage five uh, diabetic. Once you burn out your pancreas, even though you push uh, on your blood sugar levels, you still just don't create much insulin. Um, I don't, hmm, I may be able to find that in a few minutes and actually show you some graphs, which make a lot of sense. Um, but let's go back and see if I can do that in a minute. Let me, let me cover one more question. And, uh, Robert Thompson, I drop a few pounds when I chew nic nicotine gum, regain weight when I quit. Is nicotine gum harmful? I don't think it is. Actually, there, there was a whole... Uh, a whole book about whether or not nicotine itself alone is, is what causes tobacco problems. There's no question tobacco causes problems. There is some question though regarding uh, how much of that's due to nicotine. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. Let me see if I can, if we have a chart. Yes. Okay. Let me cover this. I think it was BJJ that had a question about low insulin. And if you look at, there's, uh, there've been what's called five stages of diabetes. Um, and there's also Kraft diabetes profile where he talks about different stages. And let me just uh, show those of you who may not understand, and I hope this is what you're talking about, BJJ. So <clears throat> normal pattern, 
of a craft uh, diabetes profile is, this is uh, glucose, by the way, and it's bumping up to about 120, then it comes down to 100, and then back down to 80. Um, and it started at 80. The glu uh, insulin is, should start at five or less for basal insulin. Then it can pop up. It really shouldn't get beyond 50. He's, they're saying 80 on this chart. Uh, and then it comes back down. With the, the first uh, pattern is pattern, or the first abnormality you tend to see is delayed insulin response. And that's because there are two levels of insulin response. One is stored insulin in your pancreas. The other is insulin that your pancreas makes in response. So when that stored insulin, um, stored insulin uh, is not there because you're burning it up too much, it, it tends to peak later at hour, uh, one hour rather than half hour that you see in a normal insulin response. The blood glucose levels go higher and they stay high longer. As you continue to go, you'll see pattern 3A, which is further delay. It's taking up to two hours to get a peak of, pardon me, a peak, it's taking up to two hours to get a peak of insulin there. And again, as you can see, uh, we're getting blood sugar levels that are peaking and staying up there until that insulin peak comes up. Then you get 3B4, uh, where you, you get significant hypercholesterolemia, and your uh, patients are, even though they're pumping out 150, 200, 250 levels of insulin, their blood sugars are still going way high, 200, 250. That's because they are their insulin receptors in their muscle cells and their liver, liver cells are resisting that insulin. Now, what BJJ was referring to is if you go in these patterns long enough, your uh, pancreas will just give out. It will not make insulin much longer. I mean, it just, it, 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 it makes it, but very, very small levels. And this is what they're calling uh, pattern five, insulinopenia means not enough of. And the, again, the pancreas is just not making that much uh, insulin. I hope that has been helpful. And let me go back to uh, the channel. Okay, thank you very much. I think that in, oh, I thought that ended our question. We had a few others. Um, Steve Mitchum, I can't do super, uh, John Tocho, super chat, $5. Thank you very much, John. Steve Mitchum, I can't do super chat. Excuse me, I can't do super chat. How else can I donate? Patreon uh, works, uh, PayPal works. And if you click on those, you can go, um, I think those will help you um, uh, find out how to do that. And again, as I said before, just buy, uh, buy a course or uh, see me as a patient. Dave uh, Murphy, CIMT is still needed if you've had a CT angiogram. Again, uh, the CIMT is the one that's really helpful for understanding whether or not you're, you've got a uh, soft plaque. Uh, Dave, as we've discussed, I don't think that's a major issue for you now, so I'm not in a huge hurry, uh, and I don't think you need to be in a huge hurry to get a CIMT. I'd be patient, wait. We routinely get those once a year anyway, so uh, oh. 5.49, I guess that's Deutschmarks. Uh, it looks like pounds to me, but 
Amir, whatever it is, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Very, very helpful. Cole McTarmack. I wonder if that's Scottish. Uh, my wife has me watching Outlander recently. Hi, Dr. Brewer. Thanks for the great channel. I'm 23 and lean. Well, thanks for your interest, Cole. I'm concerned since I have an HDL of 35. You should be concerned. That's not a good HDL to have, as well as a family history of early cardiovascular disease. Any tips as far as prevention? I think one of the biggest questions, Cole, that I have for you is what's going on? What is causing that low HDL? Is it part of a pre-diabetic problem? As I've mentioned before, we start seeing plaque forming in 20-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 10-year-olds, and we see pre-diabetes. One of the major growing groups for pre-diabetes is teenagers. So I think that's the major question I would, uh, I would ask is, what's going on? What first assess the situation? Uh, Sax Boy Horn Girl, did you get the Jim Dandy's phosphatidylserine cortisol comment? If not, any thoughts? Um, he here's the thing I don't think I'm going to be able to speak to whether or not phosphatidylserine actually, I, I haven't reviewed the science on that in over three years, the time that I did look at that, whether or not whether or not phosphatidylserine actually improved AM cortisol, I don't remember it knocking me out of the park, and I don't routinely take phosphatidylserine. Um, I, I'm, I have, but I haven't looked at the science in the past couple of years. Beth Edens, keto for one year and down seventy pounds. Congratulations. 70 pounds is enough to change your health dramatically again, save you a couple of decades of, of, or more of healthy life. STEMI, cabbage uh, times three. Stem, STEMI is um, it's a heart attack, basically. Uh, cabbage is a, a coronary artery bypass, a bypass graft times three at age 50, now 56, and found high LP little a. One of my questions, Beth, would be how high was that LP little a? Given what I do, you can imagine I've got a lot of patience with it. Triglyceride over HDL was 0.68, but cardiologists will only focus uh, on LDL of 180. Frustrating. I can understand that. LDL of 180 um, is uh, significant. Again, as I mentioned earlier, it makes me wonder a little bit about FH. Um, but the, the, uh, the stuff you've done in terms of your own weight, I think are huge and big, big deal for your health. Thank you so much, guys. We've gone way over an hour today. Um, I appreciate the interest and, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.